Let us pray. God, we are here and we are waiting for your Holy Spirit. Be among us as we listen to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. morning. It's so nice to be back with you and to have a voice, which is why Jarrett was pinch hitting for me last week. I had four days of pantomiming at the co-op. So it's good to be here. Thank you for your prayers. I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, thanksgivings be made for everyone. Paul writes to us from Timothy. And I remember having an epiphany about this while I was in seminary. I was researching something on the web, and I came across the website of the St. Francis Prayer Foundation. And anyone can go onto their site and submit a prayer request to monks at prayerfoundation.org. And it lists 43 countries in which they have prayer support. And what is their role? It's to pray for the world. And I remember when I discovered this website, this tremendous sense of relief came over me. There is a community, at least one, dedicated to praying for the world. But wait a minute. Aren't we also called to do the same? For each Sunday, we have our intercessions and we are praying and interceding on behalf of the world to God. And this is church as intercessor. Church intercedes on behalf of God to the world and on behalf of the world to God. And indeed, this is the theme of our scriptures this morning. Jeremiah is lamenting and praying and intercessing for his fallen people. And Paul is writing to us in Timothy that we are to be an intercessor for everyone, no exceptions. And then Jesus tells us this story which sounds rather convoluted, but at the essence, he is telling us that intercession is through resources and relationships. And as I thought about church as intercessor, I began to wonder, what if the church abdicates its role as intercessor for the world? For in Jeremiah's lament, we could see what could happen. If we no longer focus on that intercession that we are called to, the church becomes insular. We focus only on ourselves to the betterment of ourselves. We navel gaze. We reinforce our own self-importance and see ourselves as status-driven or superior to others. And I can tell you that seminarians have a particular propensity to doing this. Because they get so proud of the knowledge that they gain in their studies that they try to one-up each other on theology and liturgy. And and then it becomes all about whether or not a particular blessing was Trinitarian enough. And we forget the the underlying meaning of why we bless in the first place. When church abdicates the role of intercessor, the values of the world become the values of the church. 
numbers for the sake of numbers, dollars for the sake of dollars, hoarding resources purely for our own survival without paying attention to anybody else. And so, if we look on the other side and say, what does church as intercessor look like? It means we lament. We lament the, lament the falls like Jeremiah. And we in this church do that every time we pick up those white flags and we walk out on that corner and we pray for all those people who have died due to gun violence. That is lamenting the fall in this nation. We don't shy away from it. We name it, but we do not rejoice. We lament and we pray. We pray about it. We pray for it. We pray on behalf of those who've been injured by it. Church as intercessor means we are generous, generous in lamenting for anyone who is in pain, generous in praying and generous in relationship and resources. Because generosity is the message of the gospel. Because we do not get to choose who is worthy of our intercessions. Just as I preached a few weeks ago that we cannot choose who is worthy of God's healing. And so how can we be generous in prayer? We offer it unceasing. And we do not edit other people's prayers. For we are intercessors, not editors. Nor do we take that en loco parentis approach of thinking we know what prayer is better for somebody else. And I can tell you that sometimes when people ask for something that needs to be prayed for, they may not use the words that I would use. When we have worship together, the kids have amazing prayers and all sorts of forms. And maybe they aren't my words, but they're their words, which means when I pray them, I'm using their words and lifting them up to God. So we, we generously pray for whatever someone desires us to pray for without editing it. And we pray for everyone. We pray for those who struggle. We also pray for those who lead. And this world, this nation, we've had a lot of challenges in the last few years. And I can tell you there have been debates within the church about who we pray for and who we don't. But if we don't like their leadership, we don't pray for them. And I can tell you that in Timothy, it says right here, we pray for everybody. Every leader needs prayer. Those are tough jobs. And we pray for God to be leading them. That's what we pray for as Christians. And we pray for people generously and we love them. It doesn't mean we have to like them. C.S. Lewis says that when we pray for others, we're wishing for the good to come out in them. And St. John Chrysostom says that we do this by being thankful for the good in each person. It's hard to hate when you're thankful for the good in somebody. For to pray is to see the good, the good there and the good that is to come. My third year as a seminarian, it was my last Sunday in my internship parish in New Haven, Connecticut. I was at Trinity on the Green, preaching my final sermon. And knowing it was my final sermon... 
And looking at the national discourse at the time, I felt called to step out on a limb and preach about the death penalty. And I did so not purely because it was an issue that that I think is very important to address as Christians, but it really was all over the national news. And the reason I preached about it was because I do believe we are called to find the good in everyone. And when we use the death penalty, we are saying that there is somebody out there that has no good left in them and therefore they must die. And I do not believe that I can live in a world where someone can be condemned to the point of there never being a possibility of redemption. That's what being generous in prayer and finding that good is about. And that means we become generous in our relationships because we build relationships through prayer as a foundation. We give thanks for others. And in giving thanks, it opens the door to relationship that may not have been there before. Or maybe a door had been shut and in giving thanks, we reopen that door. It also means that when you are about to meet someone new and your neighbor says, oh, I know about that person. Let me tell you. And they begin to fill your ear with their opinions about this person that you're having coffee with tomorrow. And when you go to have coffee, the challenge is to take all that you just heard from your neighbor and put it over here. And to walk into that coffee and engage in a space of meeting that person as who God has created them to be and not allow other people's opinions to influence how we encounter that person. That's being generous in relationship. Now, Jesus This lesson on the shrewd steward is about relationships and resources. Because the owner actually learns something from the manager. The manager becomes very shrewd in relationship because the manager is envisioning a life without a job. And it's relationships that sustain us through those hard times. And so he makes this choice to reduce the debts in order to build a relationship. And the owner realizes that relationship is important based on how the steward has acted. Now, there's a critique in there where Jesus says very specifically that we, in our business dealings, are more shrewd and dedicated than we are to our walk with God. That we, we preserve relationships and business dealings And yet Jesus wants us to go one step beyond that. And what I mean by that is when we talk about business, we're talking often about a quid pro quo. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I give you a discount here, you give me a discount over there. Next year I'll hire your friend, whatever that may be. It also means that you're exempt from any moral standards if you just treat the relationship as a business transaction. And we can go right to the heart of that with a quote, It's not personal, it's business. The Godfather. But to be honest, everything is personal because we do business through relationship. 
and so and being generous in the relationships that we build, Jesus is saying we need to go beyond wealth for the sake of wealth. And an example of this is in 1998, I was broke just out of college. And it was my first Christmas away from home. I was in Wisconsin. My family was in Oregon. And I didn't have a cent. And I thought, what can I do? I don't have any money to buy gifts for my family. And I went to the store and I bought stationery, one sheet very specifically chosen for each member of my immediate family with a matching envelope. And I wrote each of them a letter telling them what I loved about them. And I was worried how it would be received because I wasn't sending anything tangible. I just mailed all these letters. And my mom called and said, we've saved your letters and they're hanging on the tree. And we're all going to open them at the same time on Christmas morning. And when I talked to my siblings later, years later, they told me that they still have that letter. And that that was the best Christmas gift they ever could have gotten. It was about relationship. It wasn't about something tangible. It was affirming the good in someone else. And so when we get into this generosity of relationships, we also need to look at resources. And oftentimes this passage is about money. But I want to go back from wealth to resources because it's resources that allow us to generate wealth. And... Resources are passed on through circles of power. If you are born into a particular privileged community, that power is passed on to you in a way we often call shoulder tapping. White men to white men, white men to white sons, wealth to wealth. And Jesus is asking us to do something different, to use our resources on behalf of the entire world and not turn around and shoulder tap the people we know. And C.S. Lewis calls this the inner ring. He preached on this in a lecture to King's College London in 1944. He said, we have to be careful of always seeking that inner ring, that, that community we want to belong to, that we with a secret sense of intimacy where exclusion is not the accident, it is the essence We all want to be a part of that group over there. And when they invite us in, we belong. And if it's hard for me to get in, I want to make sure it's harder for the next person. And the group may be morally neutral. It could be a Bible study group. It could be a coffee group. But the desire becomes dangerous because that group becomes an exclusive group, which means others cannot enter that ring. And the danger is living a life in which we want to be a part of that next resourced ring. We want those connections for ourselves. And each time we find ourselves into the ring we have desired to make it into, there's always another. It's never-ending cycle. And to be honest, we as church have that danger. We can be that inner ring so easily. We have our practices, we have our community, we have our worship. It is so easy for us to spend all our time with one another. And yet, this is at the essence of resource and relationship. It's about dismantling the inner ring. Church as intercessor dismantles that inner ring and invites everybody to be a part of one broad community of God's creation. 
a place where all are welcome and accepted, where there are no outsiders. And so that is our call this day. When you see those inner rings, turn, create a broader circle, and invite everyone in with whom you meet.